Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia, with your hosts Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. Latvian BCM, and welcome to episode number one hundred and sixty-two of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am here with my good friend and colleague Otto Tabuns, right across from me in Yelgava. Otto, how are you this afternoon? Oh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm enjoying the cool but sunny day, as most other of you. Uh, for those who perhaps uh, went in the direction of Yalga would know and share the trouble that we have had with the roadworks that are going on, but hopefully that is not the case on uh, the other major arteries of transit in our country. Yeah, that was not a fun surprise this mm-hmm. weekend to see that there's more road work going on. But uh, Otto was putting it very mildly when he called it a cool day, because I woke up, this is the uh, what, 6th of April that we're mm-hmm. recording this on, I had to scrape snow off of my car. Because last night we had a uh, pretty significant snowstorm and uh, was not the kind of thing that you'd really expect to see, uh, you know, like a fifth of the way through through April already. But, but you know, you, you can never expect the weather here in Latvia. We're not going to be talking about the weather the entire time, though. We're going to be talking about the major news that has happened here and also in the region or in the world that has an impact on Latvia in some way. So Otto and I, we're going to go through and talk about some domestic stories, some international stories. Uh, I believe Otto has uh, uh, something to say about the week in history, and then we'll be talking about something that you guys can do uh, next week uh, if you want to meet some other uh, people here in Latvia, some other English-speaking people here in Latvia. But we start, as always, with our word of the week, and that word is piagade. Otto, what is piagade? Piagade would be the Latin for delivery, uh, specifically uh, from the word gadat, to get, and pia as in uh, buy, to get something by uh, something or someone. Mm-hmm. Yes, so for example, when you are ordering on Bolt or Volt or any other app, and you have to decide between Leeds Niemshana, which is literally like take away Niemt Leedsy, or piagade, well, yeah, it's delivery. And we're not talking about pizza delivery today. We're talking about gas delivery. Because the major story, which, you know, if, if you guys watch CNN, Euronews, any of the big major kind of international uh, news outlets, you might have seen that the Baltic states, so this isn't just Latvia, but also Estonia and Lithuania have announced that they have stopped importing Russian natural gas, which in the context of this ongoing crisis, this ongoing war and invasion of Ukraine by Russia, this has been one of the biggest and thorniest issues, really, of the of the entire, um, at least Western response. Because long before Russian tanks with Z sprayed on them started rolling into Belarus, the uh, sorry, into Ukraine, um, you know, also from Belarus, sorry, uh, one of the big questions has been, well, how is Europe going to react? How is the United States going to react? Because specifically, you know, Latvia, Germany, a lot of countries in this region get so much energy from Russia, oil and natural gas, and, you know, and especially in winter, that that's a way that a lot of uh, heating takes place as well. So this is a very um, major thing right now. And, and um, so at least here in Latvia, um, it has been uh, reported that there is enough natural gas that is stored underground to, you know, be able to last pretty much, you know, a, a normal a normal winter's worth of uh, demand. But of course, you know, different lawmakers here and different representatives here in Latvia and also the Baltics are 
working overtime to try to improve that infrastructure and get, for example, another liquid natural gas terminal built uh, probably here in Latvia uh, in, in, in one of the ports. So... Uh, Otto, this was, yeah, I mean, th- this is the story, you know, and, and there's a lot to unpack here and, and a lot of also, um, you know, caveats to, to go into, uh, which we will in just a minute. But uh, but w- what's your overall kind of um, reaction to, uh, to to hearing this news, Otto? Well, um, it is indeed the case that uh, the matter of energy security and energy interdependence uh, will be uh, one of the major fronts of this confrontation. As on the one hand, uh, we indeed uh, import the majority of uh, natural gas from Russia owing to the infrastructure that was built uh, in Latvia and other Central and Eastern European countries during the Soviet occupation. Uh, On the other hand, uh, this uh, delivery of gas is also a major source of income for the Russian state. Mm -hmm. As we know, uh, approximately uh, 40% of the income that the Russian government uh, receives comes from uh, the sale of hydrocarbons, uh, mostly to uh, Europe. Uh, So um, it is certainly a question how this will go forward and there have been calls at least on the western side of the deal uh, to uh, do away with the dependence that uh, we have had uh, from russia's hydrocarbons and also um, achieve uh, this um, um, with the additional benefit of cutting off uh, the income that russia would uh, use in many ways to uh, sponsor uh, their war in ukraine Certainly, but of course there is complexity to this issue as well. It's just not a question of turning on and off the switch, you know, because, I mean, we're, we're going to be hearing a lot all year, especially leading up until the next heating season, about alternative ways to, you know, heat Latvia. You know, we, we've already been hearing different discussions, I'm sure Otto's been, you know, listening to Latvia's radio events or just reading different think pieces on, you know, Delphi or Diana about, uh, you know, the, the pros and cons of wood chips and, you know, also installing alternative um, heating systems in, in, in houses. Um, but uh, one, one thing that was interesting, so uh, Latvia's Gaze, which is one of the major gas companies here in Latvia, I mean, it literally is just like Latvia's gas, if you, if you uh, translate it directly. So that same day when it was announced by Conexus, which is the gas storage company here in Latvia, because it, it's not all just one huge company, the, 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 same, the same way that uh, um, you know, like with, with rail, the, you know, there, there's there's one company that, um, you know, uh, runs the passenger trains. There's another company that's in charge of the actual like rail infrastructure. So it's not all, you know, one unified blob as laymen like us might think it is. Because according to competition law uh, in many industries, uh, you cannot hold simultaneously the infrastructure and provide the service, mm-hmm. such as in electricity markets, such as in uh, train uh, services, uh, the train haulage, and also for the gas um, uh, delivery. Exactly. Thank you, Otto. Yeah, that, 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 that's a very important point to mention there as well. So uh, Latvia's Gaze, there was a statement that was put out by some of the different um, board members uh, of, of the company, and they made it clear that, yes, this is true, that um, they have stopped uh, buying uh, Russian natural gas, but this current situation is more due to prices rather than um, any kind of ethical concerns or also any anything to do with sanctions. Uh, and that was um, very interestingly. So, so the chairman uh, of, of the board of Latvia's Gaze, that is uh, Ivers Kalvitis, who was a, um, you know, relatively long serving prime minister, at least, you know, in terms of Latvia's prime ministers, he was prime minister for, I think, you know, like a, around four years, if I remember correctly, uh, like before the financial crisis uh, in, in, in uh, the late 2000s. So um, and then they also 
kind of played with the idea that um, it could be possible, theoretically, in theory, to actually meet Russia's demands of paying in rubles. Not that they would, but they pointed out the fact that they might. And uh, the reason why I'm pointing out this story right now is because uh, a lot of people might be surprised to know that uh, Gazprom, which is this major, you know, as we've talked about before, not just an energy company in Russia, but but a major company that has interest in, in all parts of the Russian economy, uh, they have a 34% stake in Latvia's Gaza. So, you know, a, a lot of people might think that, okay, well, Latvia's Gaza, this is going to be some kind of like, you know, state company, and, you know, they're going to align, um, you know, pretty pretty quickly with uh, the, the government's uh, opinions on, on, on different things. That That is definitely not the case. Uh, would you agree, Otto? Uh, indeed, because that is um, a private company, it is not a state company, and uh, we have to remember that, uh, of course, it is the business that they uh, think about uh, in the first place, and of course it would be clear that their business is um, single-handedly dependent uh, from this resource that they get uh, only from Russia, and um, of course uh, it could explain why they would try to balance uh, their position as much as it would be possible between the Western sanctions, uh, the question of energy dependence, and uh, the only model of uh, business that would uh, work for them uh, in the um, area of stationary uh, gas imports. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the government came out just the next day and uh, also, you know, chimed in on this issue and said that no, uh, this was Christianus Karnes, the prime minister, he said that the uh, the coalition is unified on the idea of Latvia no longer um, uh, buying natural gas from, from Russia in the future also. And, um, you know, made it made it very, very clear that uh, that 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 is Latvia's uh, strategic plan. And also, you know, um, kind of responded to this, I, I think, in a little bit by by, by mentioning that um, the uh, that Latvianergo, which is another one of the major uh, Latvian energy companies, could also make up for uh, because they also trade natural gas as well, just like Latvia's Gazi do. They could make up for the shortage if uh, Latvia's Gazi is not able to provide all of the gas that is needed here in uh, in Latvia. So, you know, I mean, of course, Otto, it's it's easy for the government to kind of like make a decision like this, but in terms of actually fulfilling you know, the need for natural gas in Latvia, which is not as much as necessarily in, in certain other European countries, you know, it, it, there isn't quite quite as much of a demand because of other things like cogeneration and, you know, and, and, another, and other ways of, um, you know, making heat or, or making um, uh, energy. Uh, do you see it as realistic that we are going to actually be able to fully stop using Russian natural gas, uh, you know, all the way through next winter, for example? Uh, it is possible, um, and I think that uh, Latvenergo, which is a state-owned um, uh, company, uh, I think they already um, indicated that they have identified uh, the options, how to cover that and how to resolve this issue. Of course, uh, in principle, uh, that would cost more uh, than uh, using the stationary infrastructure that we have, uh, but owing to this unreliability, uh, which of course is um, owing to the... Uh, uh, Russian way of international relations activity, uh, then of course uh, this could be the only solution how to provide for our energy security in the long term. And with the uh, gas prices that we have currently, uh, which are 
also partially up because of uh, persistent activity by the Russian government, so as for them to make more money, mm -hmm. uh, it would make actually less difference to uh, choose, let's say, gas from the United States, uh, Qatar or Norway, uh, instead of the traditionally imported Russian gas. Mm -hmm. Well, we will definitely keep a close eye on this because this is a story that we're going to be, like I said, hearing about all summer, um, you know, even though, you know, we're, we're not going to be needing as much gas over the summer. Um, there's a lot of preparation that has to go into uh, the next heating season. So, uh, so there's going to be a lot more talk about this. Uh, yeah, Otto. Yeah, uh, let me also add that uh, that is... Um also, but not only the question of heating, uh, let us remember that, for example, in the city of Riga, a significant part of electricity is produced by mm -hmm. burning gas. So the thermoelectric centrals, two of them, that are the major electricity sources for city of Riga, would use natural gas as the source, so not only for heat or for hot water, uh, but also for electricity. So there would be some demand that would be mm. there all year long and not uh, seasonal, uh, but uh, certainly it is uh, not so big that uh, there would be no alternative alternatives for this. Yeah, definitely. So a uh, good thing to mention. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the rest of the EU's policy is on this going forward, how realistic it is for, for other EU countries to be able to make a similar step. Um, but uh, but it's nice to see the Baltic states uh, leading the way in a, in a very important issue like this. So uh, let's take a look at some other domestic stories. And we are going to uh, continue with some other stories that are related to Ukraine. And uh, one of the most major things that uh, happened uh, just yesterday was that the government has agreed on additional support measures for Ukrainian refugees. And one of the most concrete things about that is that there had been this number of 10,000 refugees, which was announced earlier in this uh, uh, war situation that the government was going to realistically be able to bring in and be able to house and and actually, um, you know, in, in a qualitative way. Uh, but that number has been quadrupled now. So that is up to uh, 40,000 uh, refugees that the Ministry of Interior has um, a planned could potentially um, uh, come in. So uh, that that's a, I mean, significant commitment because, you, you know, you have to remember, you know, Yelgova, we're, what, the fourth largest city in the in the country? And we have around 60,000 people. So this this is, you know, um, if just say 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 we do end up with uh, forty thousand Ukrainians and they were in just you know this this one place kind of uh, you know in some village that would suddenly be like the sixth or seventh largest city in the country potentially I mean I I have to look at the exact numbers off the top of my head um, but uh, but but that is a significant amount of uh, of people you know it doesn't sound like that much for example in a you know larger country like uh, you know Germany or, or the United States but it is a significant amount of people here um, in in Latvia so so that's. That's a major thing. Um, also, there's been 3 million euros which have been um, approved for uh, Latvian language lessons for, for these refugees um, because, uh, you know, of course, uh, it is very important to, uh, you know, be able to know the Latvian language to, to be able to, uh, you know, hopefully they will be able to go home soon. But, you know, the longer that they're here, it's, it's, it's easier to, um, to get by with, with, with Latvian and, and be more, um, you know, uh, just have more opportunities and, and be able to, uh, to, to be on the job market a little bit better. So... Um, you know, the, the trend has been, I mean, I, I haven't, um, I don't know, detected any kind of backlash so far against the idea of, um, of ho hosting more refugees from the Ukraine auto. I mean, you know, do you, do you think that this trend is going to continue and, and that, um, you know, if, if there needs to be more uh, refugees hosted in Latvia, that, uh, we will continue to find ways to do that. 
I think it will be the case because on the one hand you have had the government's efforts which have been quite active. At the same time even more active has been the civic society, different individuals and families who have um, agreed to welcome uh, and uh, host uh, families uh, of refugees, um, not only um, let's say the rich and famous as would be in case of some musicians, uh, some other people mm. who would be in the headlines all the time, but also uh, families beyond that. So it is not just a publicity it is indeed something that the society has responded in uh, large circles. At the same time, I also have to mention that Latvia is not the most popular destination of the refugees, meaning mm. that uh, in Lithuania and Estonia you would have more than uh, there are in Latvia. Mm. So I would say that uh, there would still be uh, more opportunities and more reserves uh, for us uh, to take care of a bigger amount of people, even if it gets to uh, a city the size of Ventspils, but certainly mm. it has not served certainly uh, um, uh, to uh, um, buy that number. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, in any case, I mean, you know, we've been talking about, you know, whenever there's a slow news week, there's always some kind of, um, you know, a shocking piece about the population of uh, Latvia declining. So, you know, it, it's not like Latvia is completely overpopulated in the first place, you know, and, and um, you know, d definitely there, there is space for, um, for, uh, for, for more people, at least physically. It's just a question of, you know, the, um, all, all the details about where exactly they're going to be housed, you know, how, how they can be able to integrate into the education system, into the job market. Uh, but when there is a will, there's a way, and it seems like there's a lot of political will even to, um even at this point so um speaking of political will though uh another um kind of um, issue which has been discussed for quite some time has been whether or not to um you know fully ban the z and v symbols which we have seen used in the context of the invasion so of course i mean z and v are letters of the latvian alphabet so they're not going to be crossed off of your keyboard or anything ridiculous like that but used in a specific context of um, supporting Russian aggression um, at public events. So, so Saima has agreed to change amendments uh, because there already is, you know, in, in law, you're, you're not allowed to use, um, you know, obvious uh, Soviet or Nazi symbols, symbols of, uh, symbols of uh, Latvia's uh, previous occupiers uh, in public places uh, in, in that way. So, so Z and V have been um, included on, uh, you know, it's, it's sad that now we have new ones that we have to include, but that's unfortunately the way of the world right now. And then also, along with this, uh, one of the strains that we've been talking about the last few weeks has been uh, what is going to happen on uh, the 9th of May with, uh, with uh, victory, you know, so-called Victory Day celebrations um, for, for people who uh, celebrate the end of World War II. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very controversial thing, as we've talked about here before, because uh, many people see it as celebrating the occupation of Latvia, because that is what happened after World War II. It wasn't just a, a happy ending for everybody, obviously. Um, but uh, the decision has been, there's been a lot of um, lot of debate over what to uh, what to do. But uh, the decision has been in the amendments that uh, public events are not going to be held 200 meters or closer to any monument, uh, which glorifies the the memory and the victory of um, the 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 um, Soviet Red Army and its uh, soldiers. So so that has been the decision. Uh, Otto, how how do you evaluate this? Because obviously. You know, there's a lot of concerns going in here. There's, uh, you know, a lot of lot of emotion, but there's also issues of, um, you know, security threats. There's also issues of freedom of speech. So, so how do you how do you see this um, uh, overall? 
I think that uh, Simon has been able to uh, strike a fine uh, balance uh, between uh, these two sides, um, especially as here we talk about the limitations to public events, but not to uh, individual commemoration. So it will be possible mm. for people to lay down flowers and commemorate and um, express individually uh, their um, sympathy uh, to their um, relatives and the memory of those who uh, died during the war. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think this will also serve as a precautionary measure uh, so as to avoid uh, uh, having uh, those people who may want to try to provoke, let's say, uh, violence uh, mm -hmm. or a scandal or something else uh, that would really try to exploit uh, this uh, day which for some is a, a, a commemoration um, and uh, try to uh, use it for example uh, for the benefit of uh, the, uh, Putin's uh, propaganda uh, or uh, the interpretation of history uh, as we would find um, uh, in the, the official statements of the uh, Russian Federation. I think also many people who would like to commemorate this day but would like to avoid uh, possible provocations, mm -hmm. uh, I would expect them to avoid uh, large gatherings or large events as there are, of course, uh, the opportunity to um, uh, visit uh, the different uh, military graves uh, that would either uh, commemorate uh, the individuals or um, uh, the specific army in general so that uh, they would have their chance to express their opinion uh, and their conscience uh, in a way that would uh, not uh, confront with the interest of public safety. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, it's it's not like you're not able to, like you mentioned, lay down a wreath or, or yes. lay down a flower for your, you know, great grandfather mm -hmm. who who fought in the war, and and that's the entire point. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that that's why that's why people should be going there in mm -hmm. the first place, not to have these huge concerts to glorify some pretty ugly things. So, so uh, we we will have to see, though, of course, um, you know, what 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 happens if if there is any kind of unrest on that day, because um, you know, there there always is the chance, but uh, but we will have to see. So, um. Getting into some other uh, domestic stories, well, it actually feels very strange, Otto. I, I, I guess um, <laughs> maybe I should have started with this. This is actually the first time I've seen Otto's face in front of me um, in person, like his full face, not behind a mask, uh, in quite some time. I don't remember the last time we recorded an episode like this, because uh, masks are no longer as widely needed here in Latvia as they were this time last week. So as of the 1st of May... Uh, masks are no longer needed in many places throughout the country. So you can walk through the uh, supermarket without uh, without a mask. Uh, we've been teaching our lessons without masks, and and of course you can still wear a mask. I mean, there, there there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And um, you know, certainly if if uh, if I have the sniffles or you know if I have a cough, I'm probably going to put on a mask and and uh, you know try to protect other people because you know there's a flu epidemic going around right now, um, and uh, that's definitely something to keep in mind. But uh, medical social care facilities you still will need a medical mask also on public transportation um but not in taxis because that does not count technically well okay i don't want to get into a big debate over what counts as public transportation or not because because that could take a long time and uh, we might not see eye to eye on that but um and then um when it comes to work and uh, covid certificates uh, it depends on the workplace but um in general uh, it is now up to employers to decide if they want to enforce a um uh, requirement to to have to have a covid certificate for example in educational institutions um it still is uh still is required so and um yeah so how do you feel Otto? 
do you, do you feel like you're breathing uh, breathing a little bit easier or or I don't know because you know we do have to look at the rest of the world and you know there are some places which are still having covid flare-ups um so you know it's it's not something that's gone completely away and uh, you know I think it's entirely possible we might have these restrictions again but 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 what do you what do you think about this uh new era it seems that our region is in a better situation um for example when I had the chance to go to a business trip to Lithuania and Poland uh, I was uh surprised and uh, sometimes slightly alarmed that uh, I must have forgotten my mask but uh, then you mm. see that everyone else in the uh, given venue is not wearing one meaning that uh, something has changed and something uh, significant as you know these uh, uh, several years have indeed uh, been ingrained in the reflexes that we have in relation to public situations mm-hmm well yeah let let's hope we will not need masks again for a while um at least in, in a massive way but uh but again you know fo- follow your conscience i mean you know if if you think that uh because i mean you know again the main idea of the masks is you know not necessarily to to stop covid from you know stop yourself from breathing in covid but also from from spreading it uh, potentially so you know if if you feel like you you know might be sick then then definitely uh you know uh it, it would be better to to, to do that as, as we have been doing um so we talked about the flu you know there is a flu epidemic going around unfortunately that is not the only disease which we have to worry about here in latvia african swine fever once again has returned to the forest and this time specifically in the region of uh latgale so it has been detected in uh more than 300 wild boars unfortunately and uh so you know definitely this is the kind of thing which um if you've listened to the show for a few years uh, unfortunately, in the last few years, we have had a story like this because it, it is it is a disease that um, you know has uh, has affected uh, both both wild pigs and also domestic pigs as well, and and um, you know has has had an effect on um, the people who uh, who rely on that as uh, as income as well. So um, definitely something to uh, I don't know keep keep an eye on. But um, you know the, the the last few times around, we haven't had quite an apocalyptic situation. It seems like Otto. So, um, but uh, anyway. One thing which uh, Otto and I, you know, do have to worry about as we are drivers, many of the rest of you here in the country are motorists, uh, we're all used to speed cameras, including the secret ones, because, you know, do be careful. So in most places in, in on the roads, there uh, will be a sign that tells you not only that there's a speed camera coming up, but, you know, if you're driving... For example, if the if the road is like 90 miles an hour, then then the speed camera zone might be 70 miles an hour because they, they put the speed cameras generally where there's uh, been high rates of accidents previously because they want you not just to slow down, but they like really want you to slow down. Well, speed cameras have potential other uses as well, and they are going to start being used to check to make sure that you are not driving with an expired technical certificate or without expired obligatory auto insurance because there is an obligatory auto insurance which everybody has to buy and uh, you do have to get your technical inspection once a year as with pretty much any country in the developed world so uh, how, how do you rate this auto how, how do you feel specifically as a motorist if that is the case, if speed cameras uh, would be able to do that I would feel much safer on the road as on the one hand we do have a lot of uh, new and flashy cars mm-hmm. at the same time uh, you would also have the other end of the spectrum oh yes <laughs> uh, not necessarily that they would look bad but uh, they would not be in best technical condition and uh, would make a problem uh, both in cases of a possible collision and also in any other uh, case when for example things start falling from the car or for some um, particular reason uh, the car would get into an accident that would be a 
a threat uh, not only uh, for you know the people in that car but also for other drivers so um, i look forward to this change okay yeah so just just be careful get, get it done on time and uh you know d- depending on the uh city that you live in you know you, you might have to get an appointment for the technical inspection um so j- just you know keep, keep it in mind uh one very sad piece of domestic story to finish with is that uh mr zygmunds skoyinch who is a very well-known Latvian writer and screenwriter. Uh, and uh, my, my wife, Liga, uh, who um, on the Latvia Weekly website and also the Facebook page, you can read her literature reviews. Uh, she, he was the author of uh, both Nudity and Flesh Color Dominoes, both of which she reviewed. And you can go back and, and read her reviews. I'll, I'll actually uh, probably probably post those after the episode uh, once again so that you can um, you can find them a bit easier. Uh, but, but he did pass away um, just a few days ago on the 29th of March. Um, Otto, did you read uh, any of his uh, work when you were in high school? Was was that part of the obligatory um, uh, curriculum at the time? Uh, no, it was not. Uh, but uh, I have heard uh, good references about the work that he has had, uh, not only from the reviews by Liga, but also in general. So I think this would also be a moment to remember his work and perhaps locate it in your local library. Yes, and also in your local language, because his work has been translated into English, German, French, Russian, Georgian, Czech, Lithuanian, and some other languages as well, according to um, the obituary that was written on the English version of uh, LSM Latvian Public Media. So our sympathies are with his family, certainly, in this time. So, Otto, I think it's time to talk about some international stories. Let's do that. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, it was very interesting to see that uh, the Prime Minister of Denmark, uh, Madame Mette, Fredriksen did visit Latvia just at the end of, the end of um, March on the 31st, and uh, she used this time to announce that there will be 800 troops uh, being sent to Latvia from Denmark, which, again, might not sound like a huge number, but you do have to remember that you know Denmark and Latvia are not countries the size of, for example, the United States. Um, so, so this is a pretty significant at least from my perspective, I, I want to get your perspective on this auto because you're obviously the, the defense expert. That's your that's your day job, um, but but that does seem to me like a fairly significant uh, commitment from uh, from NATO. Uh, what do you think? Uh, certainly, because the. On the one hand, uh, the number itself is impressive. It shows that uh, for Denmark, it is of utmost importance that security and stability is there in the Baltic Sea region, uh, to which it is part as well. Uh, We also remember that Denmark was very supportive to us regaining our independence. And uh, um, I think they do enjoy that they also have um, democracies on the other side of the sea that they share a number of values with. Uh, I believe this is also a way for Denmark uh, how to uh, become uh, more proactive in the field of uh, European defense. Uh, they used to have an uh, opt-out on the participation in the European security policies, uh, but uh, this uh, may also change as a result of the um, uh, further Russian aggression uh, in the nearby uh, region. Um, in addition, I have to mention that on the one hand, uh, as important as the number is, uh, we also have to mention that it, um, it is also a matter of uh, experience experience and uh, different mm-hmm. skills and instruments that the troops have because uh, you would know that uh, there is of course difference between uh, let's say uh, a mandatory service soldiers such mm-hmm. as uh, many of those that Russia has used in Ukraine and for example uh, 
soldiers uh, from the United States who have served, let's say, several rotations in Iraq or Afghanistan are and are then uh, sent here. Of course, uh, the um, uh, capability to fight and defend is significantly different. Um, and so uh, Denmark has also been very active uh, in NATO. So we have worked together uh, in Afghanistan, uh, in the um, ISAF mission. Uh, so I would expect that uh, they are also not uh, sending uh, the last of their troops here. And that mm-hmm. is a significant contribution to the security and deterrence, which is key at what NATO defense is. And actually, Otto, I want to get your take on one thing. Um, so this is not in the show document, just to just to pull the curtain behind. But I was actually at this event this morning because today in Latvia is a job shadow day. And, mm. I, and I had two uh, wonderful job mm. shadows today. Uh, so shout out to uh, mm. Emma and Elisabeth if you're listening to this right now. But uh, at this event that kicked off the celebration, there was this one speaker who, you know, he was talking about a few different topics, but one of the topics was about, you know, Latvia's defense. And um, so he talked about how important it is, you know, it's great that Latvia has strong partners like NATO, but we also have to be strong ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, that part kind of stuck with me a little bit. And I want to get your take on it because, um, because Latvia is a member of NATO. It's not like NATO is this separate other organization which is here to to help us, but we we are part of NATO. We have taken part in, you know, many NATO exercises and 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 also um, you know, NATO activities. So, you know, like it struck me the same way as calling like, you know, the European Union our partner or like the United Nations our partner, which we are we are full members of. So, um but but you know, w- w- what was your take on that? Uh, so um, I think certainly uh, it is sometimes a, a matter of the figure of speech that mm-hmm. we use. Sometimes we would refer to uh, something being decided in Europe or something mm-hmm. being decided in the West. Sometimes we are particular that that would mean uh, Brussels uh, as where the institutions of both the European Union and uh, NATO are. Uh, at the same time, sometimes it could mean the Western European countries. Uh, here certainly um, I think... Uh, it is clear for most of our society that we are indeed part of NATO. NATO is also ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, um, it is also um, important uh, to uh, see what we can do. Uh, it is also clear that our national capabilities are part of NATO. That is something that we have committed to mm-hmm. uh, with our accession uh, to uh, the uh, organization. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, the um, NATO uh, founding document, the Washington Treaty does not start with the Article 5 on collective defense. Uh, you would have already Article 3 that would prescribe that we have to do our own homework, that we mm-hmm. have to have our own uh, national defense capabilities, and that we do have in the National Armed Forces, uh, to which uh, the National Guard is part of. And there is also the Youth Guard, uh, which uh, gives the opportunity to uh, youths who would be interested to choose this as their profession uh, to uh, proceed uh, either partially, as in the National Guard, or full-time in our professional uh, army mm-hmm. no and th- those are all great points yeah you know it was, it was just kind of like the word partner that i was i could just imagine like you know I, I wish you were sitting there so i could just get like the reaction on your face and just uh, see how you were thinking about that so um but but yeah th- those are all great points and, and and definitely obviously you know we need to do everything that we can to protect ourselves we can't expect other people to uh to protect us uh, for, for us certainly so well, um, speaking of one country that is uh, on, you know, not in NATO or the European Union at the moment, uh, that is Ukraine. The president of Ukraine um, gave a special thanks to uh, Egils Levitz, the president of Latvia, for the assistance that has been provided to 
Latvia um, so far, not just military assistance, but also other types of assistance and, uh, and you know, and also advocacy, you know, I'd really say, you know, both on the European and the world stage, uh, you know, because you, you do remember, I mean, before this, you know, invasion began, we were uh, reporting on the missiles that Latvia sent to um, to Ukraine and have been used to very great effect, as you can as you can see in the world um, media. And um, also, Mr. Levitz is visiting um, Moldova and uh, also will be uh, delivering some uh, humanitarian aid, uh, from what I understand, and also be talking about uh, Moldova's uh, integration into um, European institutions, potentially, because, you know, I, I think now there's certainly um, a greater uh, urgency to, uh, you know, want to join, um, you know, for example, the European Union. And, you know, I mean, we, you'd have to see about something like NATO, certainly. Um, but uh, Otto, um, you know, you know, M- M- Moldova is actually a very kind of interesting case. It's not something that we talk about so much on the show, because Moldova does not have uh, a direct border with uh, Latvia, but um, you know the fact that the president is visiting Moldova does show, um, you know, especially right now when the president doesn't have lots of free time to just go visit random countries. You know, it, it is an important uh, part of this uh, region of the world, and you know, and you know, there is some solidarity that we're kind of in a similar boat, especially since Russian troops have been stationed in uh, an occupied part of uh, Moldova for for decades now already. So, um, how do you see going forward? the possibility of greater integration of Moldova into um, into Europe. I would expect Latvia to support that, similarly as we have supported the Ukrainian uh, integration in the European Union. Um, I would also expect uh, additional help to be provided uh, to Moldova, in particular that they have also um, accepted and are hosting um, a lot of uh, Ukrainian refugees, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that is indeed uh, stretching the limits of their resources and abilities to do that, as Moldova is uh, one of the worst off countries in Europe economically, mm-hmm. so that is not so easy for them. And as you rightly mentioned, so in the Transnistria, they also have uh, an ongoing uh, um, Russian um, the aggression, the occupation, yeah. the, um, the unlawful control of part of the country, um, which is somewhat of a frozen conflict. But uh, Moldova uh, can understand very well the situation of Ukraine, and so can Latvia with regard to what is happening in Ukraine and in Moldova, because we have a shared history of Russian aggression against our uh, nations, against our territories, and uh, I believe that we will continue to try to do what we can to support these countries to resist about the humanitarian issues and also their ways uh, how to uh, you know uh, uh, prevent uh, Russia from uh, expanding illegally on their um, land mm-hmm. and we have all seen the pictures and the horrors uh, this weekend of places that the Russian uh, military has pulled out of specifically in the town of Bucha uh, and you know, I don't think Otto and I have anything to add, uh, anything to say that hasn't already been said about just how disgusting, horrible, and shocking that was. But uh, what I can say is that there have been additional actions, diplomatic actions against Russia by the Latvian government, specifically the closure of two consuls, um, one in Liepaja, a uh, consulates, sorry, uh, one in Liepaja, and then one in uh, in, in Daugopils, which are the uh, second, and th- sorry, the third and second largest cities in the country. Um, respectively. So, uh, and then the uh, staff in those uh, consulates do have to um, uh, leave the country back to um, Russia. So, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it, like, there, there's there's no way. You know, it, it's 
when, when you see something as horrible as what we saw, you know, it, it almost, um, you know, like something like the closing of a consulate just seems, um, I don't know, you know, like, the, like there's nothing that can possibly be done um, to, to make that right, to, to make right what's, what, what's, uh, what's happened. But, um, you know, g- given the sanctions that have already been put into place, you know, there, there is, um, you know, a, a decreasing amount of kind of, um, I don't know, you know, I, there's actually a good question for you, Otto, I guess. We, I don't think we've necessarily talked about this before, but, um, you know, how many more kind of actions can we really take, you know, non-military actions, sanction type action, you know, now that we're no longer getting gas deliveries and, and we're trying our best to, to not have to buy any more gas again, now that we've, you know, closed down consulates, um, you know, one of the big questions has been, how many sanctions do we put into place immediately? How many do we keep in reserve? You know, is is there much more that we can, you know, do going forward, in your opinion, when there are probably, sadly, going to be more horrible things that we have to react to? Uh, there are uh, certainly uh, more options on the table, what we can do to further the sanctions. Uh, this is also a, a conscious choice um, by the leaders of the European Union to do it step by step. So that on the one hand, uh, there would be the option, as there is, uh, for uh, Russia to stop those actions that we do not find acceptable, and there would be a way back. Uh, but similarly, if uh, Russia does not react, uh, then there would still be uh, additional ways for us how to go further to show that uh, this is something that we will not uh, tolerate. Uh, also, for different uh, ministries and different institutions in different fields, there are uh, various ways what they can and cannot do, uh, specifically if we talk about um, the government and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. one of the most practical things, one of the most obvious things is indeed to uh, uh, limit the activities of uh, Russian diplomats, as certainly that is still one of the most important tools of influence. So they cannot influence us militarily, but uh, Mm -hmm. they can try to use diplomatic tools that they use both for trying to uh, keep Uh, and limit uh, the European reaction from going any further. And also that is, of course, uh, in many cases, a tool for intelligence so that they would be better informed what could be the reaction of the European Union. And uh, so that would help them uh, to um, crowd their further steps so that it would cost less uh, to the Russian government. Uh, If we close down uh, those diplomatic institutions, uh, then, of course, it is uh, more difficult uh, for Russia to do that. And certainly there would be benefits if we talk about um, um, our ability to limit uh, the influence of Russia, especially as we find uh, their actions deplorable. Well, speaking of the influence of Russia, um, one person who has been accused for many years of uh, potentially, you know, uh, being used as a way for Russia to exert influence on specifically the European Parliament or European politics has been a long-serving member of um, European Parliament from Latvia, uh, Tatiana. Otto, can, can you please pronounce her name for yes, me? Yes, it's uh, Mrs. Tatiana Zdanoka. Yes, I, I, I've uh, mispronounced it too many times before. So, um, and uh, most controversially lately, she has refused to condemn in um, you know any uncertain terms the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And this has led to an already fraught relationship with her um, party because for those of you who aren't super familiar with European uh, politics, there are pan-European parties which 
um, do exist in, uh, in in European Parliament, which generally, you know, when when there's a domestic political party that gets elected into European Parliament, they'll they'll join one of those kind of like parties or alliances. Uh, so she has been a member of the European Greens, European Free Alliance uh, group in European Parliament, and she is now no longer that. So according to the European Greens, um, she has <clears throat> she has um, she has left the party uh, vol- voluntarily, but it was specifically over this issue. So she is now a non-aligned member of European Parliament. So Otto, do you find this surprising? Um, it is not surprising, uh, um, but one of the results will be that um, she will have uh, less um, institutional tools to promote uh, that kind of uh, thinking that uh, she uh, has been, I would say, um, in her conviction for uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one last kind of domestic story, and uh, you know, this is interesting because you know, this time last year we were thinking so much about Belarus, um, but uh, you know, the, the issues which we were talking about in Belarus last year they have not gone away. You know, they've only been amplified by this uh, by this crisis, and um, so it was interesting to see that the foreign minister uh, Edgar Zhrinkevich he has uh, met with um, the um, uh, well. It's difficult to say exactly what what her title should be, but she is seen as the rightful president of Belarus by by many different um, uh, people. Uh, that is uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. Um, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Otto. So, um, Mr. Renkevich uh, met with her, and uh, he provide uh, sorry he promised that there would be continued uh, measures by Latvia's government to promote um, the uh, civil society of Belarus because. You know, obviously, we've seen measures previously, such as demanding that you know, we were going to have the um, uh, the international hockey championship, um, you know, which took place last year, uh, hosted between Latvia and Belarus, and and that no, you know didn't happen. Obviously, it was only hosted in Latvia. So you know, we we've seen measures being taken against the Belarusian government, different cooperation with the Belarusian government, and with um, you know elements related to the Belarusian government uh, cancelled. For obvious reasons, but you know, again, the idea is not to just punish the people of Belarus, but to uh, you know punish the government, which has been repressive to the people of uh, Belarus. And so, I think it's important to see that we haven't completely lost interest in this issue. That we haven't completely you know changed all of our priorities to only caring about what's going on in Ukraine and and uh, you know worrying about our own defense, but but also are, are continuing to uh, to keep our eye on this. So, how how do you rate this, Otto? Uh, indeed, that is a reminder that uh, with all the importance of um, uh, the Russian war against Ukraine, Belarus is our direct neighbor and uh, whatever happens with Belarus affects us directly too. Uh, should it be further integration with Russia? Uh, should it be uh, further um, you know, control of the country by Mr. Lukashenko? Um, and it is important for us to uh, keep in touch with uh representatives of the Belarusian society uh, so that um, we would be able uh, to follow the situation, uh, to keep in touch Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, people who uh, may be in charge there and uh, be ready to react accordingly. 
Well, thank you, Otto. I think that just about does it for the major international mm. stories. Uh, can you take us through the week in history? Yes. Uh, as many of our stories of today mention NATO, I would like to use this opportunity to remind our listeners uh, to uh, the date of uh, 4th of April of 1949 when uh, NATO was established. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, which is what this abbreviation stands for. Mm. And with the signing of the Washington Treaty on this uh, day in 1949 uh, what is today the most uh, significant uh, military alliance was founded and um, it was a goal uh, of Latvia to join it already in the early 90s once we regained our independence and that was something that we achieved um, at the end of uh, March of 2004 as uh, we learned from the lesson that just announcing neutrality as uh, it was done in 1939 did not help us and uh, the Soviet Union occupied us and uh, uh, once the uh, Soviet and the Russian troops went away, uh, I think there was a wide understanding that we want to join this alliance to make sure that the Russian army does not come back anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're very lucky um, that, uh, that that is still the case um, and that we were able to join NATO. So, well, that just about does it. I can say uh, for those of you who are looking to now that... Um, you know, we're, we're back to something resembling uh, normal again in terms of restrictions. Those of you who would like to meet some new people, some other people that uh, you might not have met in a while, uh, specifically international people, there is an international meetup uh, that is hosted by our friend uh, Zane Raider uh, on the 14th of April. That is in Riga at the St. Black and Rock Urban Cafe stage that is on Zirnovu um, Ila uh, in the center of the city. So you can uh, look up the address there. I believe it is 57 uh, so that is on the um, 14th of April. And uh, you can also go to the International Meetup uh, Facebook page and there's an event there. You can um, say that you are interested or that you are going and then uh, you will have a reminder for that. So um, I unfortunately will not be able to make it uh, that night because it, it's a lot harder to make these kinds of things now that I have uh, children. But uh, I strongly suggest that you go and, and you might meet some other listeners of Latvia Weekly and, and definitely some uh, very interesting and, uh, and um, uh, nice people there. So, well, Otto, I think that just about does it. For Indeed real? it does. Yep. And uh, I can just wish everyone a very good week. I hope that you all stay warm. I hope that uh, <laughs> you know, spring finally does uh, you know, come here for real, even though I will be suffering with my allergies. I know the rest of you uh, people out there, you, uh, you uh, do enjoy spring, most of you. So um, thank you, Kian, also for keeping our Facebook page running. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page and uh, see the stories of the day that he posts every single day. Uh, any last words you'd like to say before uh, we go out of? So um, probably my wish to other drivers is not to change <laughs> away their winter tires just yet. Yeah. Uh, stay safe, take care, and visulab. Visulab, visulab.